case. Hope Not Hates are basically controlling Britain. Hope Not Hate, an alluring name for those more concerned about social justice than truth. These backwards, these backward thinking, virtue, sick virtue, signaling, fake news crack. <laughs> Lamp, shining a light on anti-Muslim prejudice. Hope Not Hate is releasing LAMP, an e-newsletter sent every fortnight to your inbox. It monitors, analyzes, and challenges anti-Muslim prejudice and hate. You can subscribe to LAMP at action.hopenothate.org.uk forward slash LAMP. Here's a long read of the first two articles from the launch issue. Islamophobia. It's real. More people in Britain believe that Islam is incompatible with the British way of life than those who think it is compatible. And more people believe that there are no-go zones in Britain where Sharia law dominates and non-Muslims cannot enter than not. The results of an exclusive YouGov poll of over 10,000 people commissioned by Hope Not Hate in July 2018 are staggering but also a natural consequence of rising Islamophobia in the UK and abroad. Apparent in both the dog-whistle politics of mainstream politicians and the sharp increase in violent attacks against Muslims in Britain following the EU referendum, there is a visible hardening of attitudes towards Muslims in the West. Our survey also revealed that 28% of Britons believe Islamist terrorists reflect a widespread hostility to Britain among the wider Muslim community. The battle against Islamophobia and anti-Muslim bigotry and prejudice is complicated by the refusal, refusal of some to even admit the existence of Islamophobia or the terminology that can be used to describe it. Objections such as it's not Islamophobia, it's Islamorealism, or I don't hate Muslims, I hate Islam, or Muslims are not a race, so it's not racism, or even we should be able to criticize religions, are constant refrains often used to excuse intolerance, bigotry and hate towards followers of Islam, or to divert the conversation away from the issue onto a debate about the validity of the word Islamophobia itself. Islamophobia is real. Quibbling over the term distracts from the issue. Countering Islamophobia is not about curtailing free speech or limiting criticism of the faith either. It is about ensuring a minority community is not stigmatized, discriminated against or suffering hate crimes. Muslims are not the only ones who are targeted by this hate either. South Asian-looking citizens in the UK have sometimes been identified or targeted as Muslims, no matter the supposed distinction between race and religion. This has led to dangerous overlaps, such as recurring stories of Sikh men getting their turbans ripped off while being hurled with Islamophobic abuse. Despite European Muslims condemning cultural phenomena such as so-called honour killings and forced marriage as cultural practices in need of eradicating, They are nevertheless seen as imported Muslim behaviours, as backward Islamic culture posing a threat to British values. Craig Considine, a lecturer in sociology at Rice University in Texas, argues in his study that it is simplistic to overlook the role that race plays in Islamophobic hate crimes. While Muslims are not a race, 
They are examined through a racial process that is demarcated by physical features and racial underpinnings, he writes. The word Islamophobia has also been mired in controversy, with some believing it to be a term coined by the Iranian government to suppress criticism of the Islamic religion. Others claim it was invented and promoted by the Muslim Brotherhood through something called the International Institute for Islamic Thought. But according to two sociologists, Marwan Mohammed and Abdullah, Abdullah Hajat, the term was used in 1910 by French anthropologists to describe a way to administer colonized land in East Africa, and then reappeared in the UK in the 1980s. While it has a contested etymology, the term gained popular usage following the landmark 1997 report Islamophobia, a Challenge for Us All, by the Runnymede Trust. In 2005, the Council of Europe offered the following definition. Islamophobia is the fear of or prejudiced viewpoint towards Islam, Muslims and matters pertaining to them, whether it takes the shape of daily forms of racism and discrimination or more violent forms, Islamophobia is a violation of human rights. There remains no consensual definition for Islamophobia, although organisations combating anti-Muslim hatred across Europe are working to create one, and the British government is likely to adopt a definition in the coming months. Until then, LAMP will be using the Council of Europe's definition. Modern Islamophobia suffered a marked change following the terrorist attacks on the USA on September 11, 2001. Since then, the wars and occupations in Afghanistan and Iraq, the further terrorist attacks, the rise of ISIS and the migrant crisis have all helped drive anti-Muslim bigotry and Islamophobia. Reports from international and civil society organisations have pointed to an increase in insecurity among Muslims in Europe as well as forms of discrimination directed against individuals and communities. A record number of anti-Muslim attacks and incidents of abuse were reported last year in the UK, with women disproportionately targeted. The Home Office has stated it believes the rise in hate crimes are both due to a genuine increase following the EU referendum, as well as ongoing improvement in crime recording by the police. Negative perceptions of Muslims are also likely affected by the reams of negative and prejudiced portrayals of Muslims by parts of the mainstream press in fake news, often shared on social media, and by right-wing and populist politicians. Following Boris Johnson's now infamous letterbox comments in August, there was a temporary increase in reported incidents to Telmama, an organisation that monitors anti-Muslim hate including examples where Muslim women were called letterboxes, irrespective of their clothing. One of the most successful politicians in shifting the Overton window, the range of ideas tolerated in public discourse, towards the far right is the current President of the United States. When Donald Trump announced Islam hates us and retweeted anti-Muslim content from far-right group Britain First, he was propagating the worst stereotypes – of Muslims being violent heathens bent on destroying Western culture and civilization. His presidency has also emboldened nationalist and far-right figures who believe in an inevitable clash of civilization, a war between the Judeo-Christian West and the Muslims. 
But combating anti-Muslim hate and prejudice will not only be a battle against far-right groups or bigots. Real anxieties have been deliberately exploited and fed by unscrupulous politicians and media to the point that it can be almost impossible to have a decent discussion on the topic without being shouted down or even threatened. The physical isolation of some of Britain's coastal and post-industrial communities play a role. Places which are geographically isolated or have poor transport links may become less outward-looking, with their residents less exposed to people from different backgrounds. Having open, balanced conversations with people about their concerns regarding Muslims or related topics such as immigration or extremism allows constructive debate and avoids anxieties being driven underground or online, where their fears can be amplified or exploited by those seeking to divide. Charlie Prentice takes us inside America's biggest anti-Muslim organization. Hope Not Hate got inside this year's Act for America conference in the heart of American power, Washington, D.C. I was sat in the Capitol building in downtown D.C., home of the U.S. Congress, listening to Brigitte Gabriel, founder and figurehead of the anti-Muslim hate group Act for America. She alleged that she was close to 65 to 70 members of Congress and that visiting Washington, D.C. was like a family reunion. Most disquieting of all, she claimed that ACT is very focused on the White House, that she considers President Trump supportive of her organization, and that she even has a standing meeting at the White House on a weekly basis. To put this into context, this is a woman who has stated that a practicing Muslim cannot be a loyal citizen of the United States, that Arabic Muslims have no soul, and in her 2008 book, They Must Be Stopped, Why We Must Defeat Radical Islam and How We Will Do It, she wrote that Islam has created and unleashed an uncontrollable wave of hatred and rage on the world and we must brace ourselves for the consequences. Going forward, we must realize that the portent behind the terrorist attacks is the purest form of what the Prophet Muhammad created. It's not radical Islam, it's what Islam is at its core. Yet here I was, sat inside the Capitol building as she bragged about her influence over policymakers and her links to Trump's White House. In total, Eight members of Congress graced the stage to speak to the assembled crowd of activists gathered for the second day of ACT's national conference. Seven were members of the House of Representatives, and the other was Ted Cruz, a senator for Texas since 2013 and a candidate in the upcoming midterm elections. When I attended ACT's conference in 2016, Donald Trump had just beaten Cruz for the Republican nomination in the presidential race. Several of the congressmen who vote to pass and block the legislation that governs America underlined their support for Gabriel and Act. Congressman Scott Perry of Pennsylvania, who serves on the Committees on Transportation and Infrastructure, Foreign Affairs and Homeland Security, described Gabriel as one of his heroes. Congressman Jeff Duncan of South Carolina, who has sponsored Act to use the auditorium in the Capitol building, told Gabriel, I love you. Cruz commended the crowd for standing up for truth. I watched in amazement. An infamous anti-Muslim activist I had been monitoring for years stood in the heart of American power 
and she was among friends. Act for America Gabriel and her organization, ACT, American Congress for Truth, which styles itself as the NRA, the National Rifle Association, of national security due to its lobbying power, has long been a powerful force within the American anti-Muslim milieu. Despite the extremeness of her messaging, Gabriel has courted powerful institutions and has been asked to address the Pentagon, the Joint Forces Staff College, the U.S. Special Operations Command, the U.S. Asymmetric Warfare Group, and the FBI. Her 2006 book, Because They Hate, A Survivor of Islamic Terror Warns America, was placed on the FBI Academy reading list and made mandatory reading for Navy SEAL Special Forces troops heading to the Middle East. Gabriel's influence seems only to have grown in the age of Trump, and ACT now claims over one million members across a thousand branches. As the Southern Poverty Law Center suggests, while ACT could be inflating its figures, it is undoubtedly the largest anti-Muslim group active in the States. Gabriel is also a growing presence online. Forthcoming Hope Not Hate analysis reveals that Gabriel's Twitter following has grown by 106% in a year between the 1st of July 2017 and the 30th of June 2018. When I attended ACT's National Conference in 2016, the organization was able to use the Congressional Auditorium in the Capitol Building thanks to the sponsorship of Mike Pompeo. As of April 2018, Pompeo sits as a Secretary of State, one of the most powerful people in America. ACT has claimed via its website that it has made 25,000 contacts to Congress in support of Pompeo and Gina Haspel, who since May has served as Director of the CIA. In March of 2017, Gabriel posted a picture on Twitter writing that she was preparing for her meeting at the White House. ACT literature distributed at the 2018 conference claims that it has helped pass 84 bills in 32 states, as well as 12 federal bills. I wrote in 2016 that ACT had reached right into the heart of the American political establishment. Under Trump, the situation has become even worse. Trump's politics ACT has also broadened its focus to chime with the Trump presidency and the wider radical right-wing populist upsurge being felt across Western democracies. While the 2016 conference was almost entirely dominated by discussion of Islam and Sharia law, the 2018 conference covered a broader range of right-wing concerns within the category of national security. Throughout the first day of the conference, which featured speeches from right-wing and counter-jihad figures at the Hyatt Regency Crystal City Hotel in Virginia, a prime issue was immigration through the southern border, with the spectre of violent illegal immigrants and MS-13 gang members frequently invoked. On the second day, following the speeches on Capitol Hill, ACT briefed activists who were heading off to personally lobby their representatives in Congress to focus on support for our nation's law enforcement. Immigration and border security, with special reference to supporting Trump's policy of building a wall on the southern border, and designating the Muslim Brotherhood as a foreign terror organization. Only the last of these priorities is directly related to radical Islam. 
former Immigration and Customs Enforcement Director, Thomas Homan, considered by many the face of Trump's hardline approach on illegal immigration, was honoured with an award at the gala dinner that closed the event. I've done this for 34 years, Homan told the crowds to cheers and applause. There's not one president who has done more for public safety, border security, homeland security and law enforcement. That's a stone-cold fact. The conference was also marked by a bitter opposition to the left, especially college activists, Antifa and Black Lives Matter. The keynote speech, delivered by Charlie Kirk of right-wing student movement Turning Point USA, acknowledged Islamism as a threat but was resolute in his view that far-left ideologies on campus posed a primary threat to America. To Kirk, the struggle was not simply to be fought by voting Republican, but by engaging in the culture wars. Colin Kaepernick, the NFL player who in 2016 kneeled during the national anthem to protest police killings of African Americans, was a target of particular ire due to his appearance in a Nike advertising campaign, which was criticised by the president. Kirk labelled him a spoiled punk, and Fox News host Tommy Lahren joked that at least he's not going on unemployment, so whatever, thank you Nike, that's one less person the people in this room have to support. The perceived threat from, the perceived threat from left-wing radicals permeated the conference, The importance of removing ACT badges when outside the hotel conference room was repeatedly pressed. Gabriel wrote in her welcome letter that these are dangerous times, especially because of violent leftist groups like Antifa, who are working overtime to silence those with whom they disagree. ACT's engagement in Trump-style politics has disillusioned some supporters, even contributing to the dissolution of some branches. As the Southern Poverty Law Center has reported, the group's Treasure Valley, Idaho, branch dissolved in April, writing that the national leadership of this organization is losing focus on what was the original mission, to increase the awareness of Islam and its threat to our country and culture. Recent activities such as Back the Blue, Stop the Sanctuary Cities and Build the Wall are important and need to be done, but that was not why many of us became members. Europe Despite broadening its focus, ACT's anti-Islam message remains undiluted. Several speakers, such as Students for Trump chairman Ryan Fournier, utilized a narrative common among the anti-immigration right, invoking a grim picture of European decline, allegedly due to the influx of Muslim immigrants and refugees. Congressman Steve King of Iowa, in the news for again promoting content from white nationalists online, painted dark pictures of his trips to alleged no-go zones in Sweden, France and Belgium with Michelle Bachmann, former congresswoman for Minnesota's 6th District. Several of the event attendees believed that terrible bloodshed or even civil war might be imminent in Europe. Another hot issue among attendees was the perceived persecution of Stephen Yaxley Lennon, a.k.a. Tommy Robinson, the British anti-Muslim extremist who has been transformed into a free-speech martyr in the eyes of the far-right and anti-Muslim scenes internationally after his most recent scrape with the law. 
Gabriel and many ACT members hold views indistinguishable from those of Lenin, and Gabriel wrote that his incarceration was the direct result of a cultural suicide and a rejection of Western Judeo-Christian values, in place of political correctness and radical Islamic appeasement. As we have outlined elsewhere, Lenin has also received support from figures of influence in Washington. Reuters reported in July that Sam Brownback, Trump's ambassador for international religious freedom, had lobbied Britain's ambassador in the US on Lenin's behalf. Republican Congressman Paul Gozar spoke at a far-right demonstration in London in July in support of Lenin. Even Donald Trump Jr., the president's son, took to Twitter to respond to Lenin's arrest. Republican officials have form in amplifying British and anti-Muslim extremists, with President Trump himself retweeting content from the anti-Muslim street gang Britain First in November 2017. Midterms Both my visits to DC have been in the shadow of highly significant dates in the political calendar. In 2016, the presidential race loomed. This time, it was the upcoming midterm elections due to take place the 6th of November when Republicans and Democrats will battle in the polls for control of Congress. All 435 members of the House of Representatives will be elected, and one-third of the Senate. The midterms will have a significant impact on Trump's presidency. Congressman Scott Perry, representing Pennsylvania's 4th District, stressed the high stakes of the elections, claiming that Democrats would seek to impeach the president and roll back Trump's policies if they won a majority. On the other hand, if the Republicans are able to secure a majority, it could open the door to Trump's discriminatory flagship policies. Midterm elections are our chance to restore sanity to our immigration system. It's our chance to finally build a wall, Gabriel tweeted on September 8th. Two of those who addressed ACT activists in that Capitol Hill auditorium were aiming for the Senate. Congressman Lou Barletta, who serves on the Committees for House Transportation and Infrastructure, Education and the Workforce, and Homeland Security, addressed both the 2016 and 2018 conferences. He is the Republican nominee for Senate for Pennsylvania. Cruz is running again for Texas Senator. The ascension of ACT's apparent allies would further its ability to enshrine its discriminatory politics in law. But whatever the result, as Gabriel told us gathered at Capitol Hill that day, while politicians may come and go like a revolving door, ACT is here to stay. A lot raced through my head as I walked from the iconic neoclassical Capitol building and into the hot DC streets. While Gabriel is full of showbiz bluster, she had claimed that her organisation was effective, in part because it was happy to work behind the scenes, in order to spare officials the negative press that contact with her would inevitably bring. Most of all, the ACT conference impressed that more must be done to shine a light on the influence of extremists in the halls of power, especially those that operate in the darkness. Thank you for listening. This was a special LAMP long read for the Hope Not Hate podcast. You can subscribe to LAMP at action.hopenothate.org.uk forward slash LAMP.